About 300 people gathered at 5th and Allen Streets in Allentown on Friday, July 26th, for a peace walk. A walk for life, promised neighborhoods of the Lehigh Valley called it. It was supposed to commence a 30-day period of peace after 26 people were shot and two were dead as a result in the city since June. But four days later, at the same intersection, another shooting and another death added to the tally. Police shot a man who had been shooting a gun into the air and wouldn't drop his weapon. This, this is like terrifying. We're not, we're not even safe now in town no more. Like we can't even be outside with our kids, have a good time, nothing, because we, we're, not, we're not safe anymore. Many are angry. Many are sad. Many are at a loss. And others are determined. Um, do you have that shirt you had the other day with all the names on it? Yeah. Do you um, want it? Can I see, can see, see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me get it for you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. This summer, while violence has stricken Allentown's neighborhoods, my colleague Michelle Merlin has been speaking to the mothers. Okay. Uh, Bradley Davis was killed on 11th and uh, 11th and Linden Streets. Um, Chanel Allen was stabbed on 13th and Gordon. Okay. And then we have Jermaine Taylor. He was murdered. Jeannie Garcia lost her son, Kareem to gun violence seven years ago. She has a t-shirt with other victims' names added to the tally since then. She knows their ages, where and how they were killed. 49 of them. Um, oh my goodness, so many. Marcus Eggleston was murdered um, in 2011. Rod one, he was murdered on Ridge Avenue years ago. Robinson. Whether it's gang-related or random violence, as a mother, where can you turn? This week, what the mothers of violence are doing for one another and for their lost children. This is the Morning Call Podcast. I'm Kayla Dwyer. So first I went to a rally in Allentown the Sunday after that June shooting where 10 people were shot outside Deja Vu. How many more sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, mothers and fathers need to be victims of gun violence before we stand up and say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. And I was thinking about how we were hearing from a lot of um, politicians and talking heads and not a lot of real people. Somehow I ended up connecting with Jeannie, who was this really great resource. Her son, Kareem Fed, was um, shot in his bed in 2012. And she basically came home at like 4 a.m. that night and found him there. Came home from work. It's my last work day of the week. I'm checking to make sure everybody's accounted for at home because I worked the, the third shift, second into third shift. And um, he never allowed me. He would always come down the steps <laughs> from the third floor before I made it up the steps. Messy room, soda cans, whatever. He didn't want me to come up there. And that day, I, that night, I called his name and he didn't answer. And I went up the steps and he was dead in his bed. I didn't even realize it was multiple gunshots. I didn't even know what it was from, you know. I didn't realize he was murdered until the hospital notified me of what his cause of death was. She had mentioned that a few weeks before she came home to find her son dead in his bed, um, she called Allentown police and said, 
I think my son is in a gang. What can I do? Because Kareem started staying away from home. He wasn't coming home for curfew anymore like he usually was. Um, I was hearing rumors, seeing his stuff, monitoring his Facebook, seeing activity on his Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, Kareem kept it out of my house, you know? So I didn't take it as serious, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how serious it was. And um, two weeks before he was murdered, I was thinking about sending him out of Allentown, and I just didn't get the chance to do that. And basically, she says she was told, you know, if he hasn't been arrested or charged with anything, he's not already in the system. We're having a probation officer, um, which he wasn't at that time. There was really nothing they could do, but oh, they would take down his information for their records. Um, and she left feeling like there was really nowhere for her to turn. So... I was really struck by that, and I thought, hmm, I wonder what would happen if I called the police and asked what would happen if someone called and said they thought their son was in a gang and hadn't been arrested yet. And I assume you did that. So I did that. My journey was probably a little different because, you know, I called police chief Tony L. Sleeben, not, you know, whoever picked up the phone, and I got to say, hi, I'm a reporter from the morning call, Mm -hmm. which uh, is not something that I think a lot of people in that situation would have the advantage of. Um, And I was able to say, what would you tell these moms? And he said, you know, without a charge, there's really nothing we can do. Why don't you try juvenile probation? Because they might deal with these issues. So then you tried juvenile probation. That's right. Pick up the phone, call juvenile probation. Um, nothing they can do without an arrest, without a charge. Why don't I try the county? Um, there for me to two county departments, which I tried. Um, one of them was information and referral, which is part of um, the Department of Human Services. And they said I should try children and youth. Um, which was the other county agency that juvenile probation referred me to, or um, the police department. So all these departments are referring to each other? Pretty much. Everyone's just referring to each other. Um, They did eventually refer me to, um, they gave me a number for someone that they said they'd refer someone to if there were an issue with truancy. Mm. Um, And when I called that number, I was connected to... um, uh, a group that does therapy that would tackle the gang issue. Mm. Um, but just kind of like weaving through this whole process, there were so many circling backs um, to, you know, someone who had already tried or, you know, I had to leave messages for people and wait for the call back or call multiple times. I mean, it really took a lot. Um, and I think if I were worried about my kid's safety or about, um, you know, getting my kid in trouble, I don't know if I would have persevered like you do when you're a reporter. A quick note here that you can search the Morning Call podcast on any podcast platform you use. Give us a like and subscribe. And thank you. After feeling like she had no community resources to turn to, Jeannie Garcia started a support group for moms like her. I mean, they have, um, you know, drug support groups. They have, you know, cancer support groups but not gun violence support groups or violence period support groups. And so I reached out to some of the moms and I've been doing this for a very long time. Some come, some come, some go. You know, it's not always the same moms, but we try to do our best to be committed to each other. You know, at least one day out of the month, you Mm -hmm. know, just to um, vent, cry, curse. 
they go to each other's houses. It's it's pretty informal. They just talk about what they need to talk about. Um, and I've, I've heard it's, it's very comforting to be around people who really understand what you're going through in ways the rest of us don't. Was it difficult finding other mothers to talk to? It wasn't, it wasn't. Um, obviously, Jeannie is pretty tied into the community yeah. of moms. So um, so I was able to check down Jennifer Rodriguez-Cox, whose son, Jonathan Williams, was the first homicide victim in Allentown this year in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you gave me Shallon Buzzkirk's number. Shallon's oldest son, Paris Lane, was murdered in November of 2017. I mean... Every day I wake up, I do everything for him and his seven other siblings. Nobody's child was that child. Nobody's child deserved to be killed in the way that our children have been killed. You know what I mean? You should never, as a mother, as a parent, as a guardian, you should never have to bury a child. That is my mantra, and I will keep saying it because we outlive our kids. Our kids don't outlive us. Um, the moms I've talked to were are all very passionate about doing something to stop the violence, reduce the violence, save a mother from having to go through what they've gone through. And I'm just so in awe of them because it, it takes like so much strength to be able to keep pushing like that. Um, I know Jeannie told me, you know, some moms just kind of give up hope and she doesn't know what drives her, but she feels like her son is like speaking through her. And so she feels that obligation to say something. I feel like I'm just the body and he's the voice and I got to speak up to help these other kids, the parents. And I feel like if I shut up, I'm going to be part of the um, problem, not the solution. So. They attend these rallies. They help plan rallies. And like we had a peace walk the other day. They speak publicly. Um, Jeannie said, you know, she'll obviously reach out to the other mothers when she sees something in the news and she'll, she tries to help help them you know push police to keep giving them information or i know a lot of people in this community and i have been kind of marked as call genie she she can help and um which i'm proud to do shallon tries to mentor her kids friends and um just be there as like an ear for kids because that's what she sees kids as really needing to stay safe and not violent. It's just you don't know what their lifestyle is or their home life is that's making them push towards and go towards them. They're looking for somebody to accept them. You know, they're looking for belonging. They're looking for, you know, family. It's crazy as it sounds. But they're looking in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need people, you know, who are going to be mentors, who are willing to step up and take on. It's, it's more than just big brothers, big sisters. And don't get me wrong. It's a great organization. Do you know what I mean? But you need people who have been in the trenches, who have lived this life, who can talk to these kids, who is the leader, the big homie or whoever, and sit down with them like, listen, I've been there, but I've turned my life around. You could do it too. You know, kids need people who are going to believe in them. And it's not about a black or white or Hispanic thing. It's about a people thing. Shallon has been trying to create a a Paris J. Lane Memorial Foundation. Um, And she kind of imagines it as like this one-stop shop where organizations trying to help kids or families could get whatever they need. Jeannie really wants some like really specific changes, um, like stronger protections in... Kareem's name for people who come forward um, to tell police about what they've seen. Um, so in the law, like in the law changes. Yeah, 
Um, or she envisions kind of like almost a halfway house for people who want to get out of gangs to help them get out. They all see it as just such a multidisciplinary almost problem, as like a holistic problem with no one cure. Right. But a lot of things that, that they think could be done better. A lot of things that seem to be community-based. Yeah, so programs like the ones we talked about, or um, they think there needs to be more community policing, so yeah. police are familiar with their residents in the area that they patrol, um, even when crime isn't happening, more in the schools, more programs for youth um, to keep them busy so they don't turn to these gangs. We need programs now before this foundation or any foundation or any other organization or any community center. We need stuff now for these kids. So, Michelle, based on your phone call journey this year in 2019 and compared to Jeannie's attempts back in 2012, it would seem like not much has changed. Not much has changed, although in the last few weeks we've learned about um, a few programs that seem like they might help. One is um, this year the DA's office in Lehigh County is rolling out. uh, It's called GREAT, Gang Resistance Education and Training, um, which is kind of a a program used nationally. Um, They got training through the Department of Justice, um, and it's about teaching kids, even at a young age, so they're rolling it out into Allentown Elementary Schools, how to make good decisions and, um, like, say no to things um, in, like, a safe way, and also forging that connection between kids and their communities. And then um, in the last, I don't know, maybe year and a half or so, uh, Premise Neighborhoods has been Rolling, trying to roll out zero youth violence, um, which is a program that's supposed to treat violence as a disease. Um, Public and really, health issue. Yeah, exactly, and try to um, make inroads with the gangs, for example, and try to um, forge relationships and give them training so they have ways to, so they have ways to get out and can participate in the community mm-hmm. and make money in a legal way. Um, my best memory with my kids, and it's going to be so lame to so many people because I don't think people do this anymore, is dinner together mm-hmm. at the table. You know, my kids would be down at Fork, Fountain Park playing, and they knew 6 o'clock, everybody needed to be in the house, wash your hands, we sit down and eat. It's the only time of the day where we all, you know, are together and we can talk about our day and what's going on and just, yeah. you know, be a family. People got to work and people are in school, and that was very important to me. And I know some of his friends, you know, in the past be like, you know, Kareem would be playing basketball. What time is it? I got to go right in the middle of a game. Like, I got to eat dinner. I don't know. I think everybody should know my son's name was Kareem Fed and he was murdered. And then I meet people and they're like, who's your son? When did that happen? Reporters and media, they don't know. You hear it so much, so nothing sticks out to you anymore. Every time somebody gets murdered in Allentown, it's talked about. Memorial, maybe. Conversation about it, maybe. And then it gets back to the back burner. You know, and that's something I'm going to change. We can get that community feel back in Allentown. We can. We're not too far gone. But it's going to take the community to do that. 
it's not just gonna happen by a few people, a few leaders in the community um, standing up and trying, we can't do it alone. So Jeannie has been in this world for a while. Her son was killed seven years ago. Jennifer's very new to this world. How's she doing? Obviously, it's really hard for her. I mean, how could it not be? Um, he had six kids and a stepdaughter. He had seven kids, basically. And she said she really sees him in them. Um, and I think that brings her some comfort. Every time she hears about a shooting, she relives you know, the last moments with him, which were just brutal in a hospital, um, and he was brain dead. I was hoping that it was nothing. Um, I was hoping that I would get there, and they'll be like, oh, we got it, he's gonna be fine. We sat, we sat in the hospital for two hours before they even told us that he was there. He just, he wasn't talking, he wasn't responsible. So we just sat around him, basically waited for him to just go. I was out of work for 12 weeks after because I couldn't, and I still can't function at times. Um, It's broken us as a family. She just can't get over how much he meant to the community. People are always stopping her and telling her stories of things he did for them. Um, Like... Jonathan, I guess, really had a big heart, she said, and um, so there'd be, you know, the man who told her he was on the brink of committing suicide, and Jonathan talked him out of it. The girl who told her she couldn't talk to anyone after she was raped except Jonathan. The woman who told her she was hawking something on the street, and Jonathan told her to go home, and a few hours later came back with his hands full of groceries to get her her through the next few days. Um, He'd won an award from the mayor. Um, he, he wanted to do all these things for the community, and he did them, even though he didn't have very much himself. Um, and I think it, it really pains her that nobody in this community he helped so much has come up to say anything about what happened to him. Um, they still don't know who shot him or why or what really happened that night. You know, the story is heartbreaking, of course, but one of the other things that makes this so heartbreaking is, you know, when Jonathan was little, she decided to move out of the South Bronx to Allentown because she felt like it was too dangerous there and kids couldn't play on the street. And she thought Allentown would be safer. And now that she's moved to Allentown, exactly the thing that she was trying to avoid has happened. It seemed a little unfair of me to be asking them for these solutions when they're the ones, you know, who've lost the most. Like, it shouldn't be their job to take up this mantle, and yet they're the ones who are doing that. I mean, it is crazy. Like, I never thought, you know, I'd be doing speaking. And I did this before, but like I said, when it was my baby, I was like, I, instead of laying down and dying and just letting the world just, consume me, I'm like, I had to take this and channel it and do something great. It's time to take this 100% serious. This, this topic, this problem needs to be front and center. Stop sweeping it under the carpet. Get some funding, get some programs, get some mentors, reach out. We need to take 10 extra steps and attack this. 
You can read Michelle's full piece and more from these mothers at themorningcall.com. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.